Well, we're rejoicing. We are a little jaded, but we are rejoicing. And God has been so good to us this year. We've just had one feast after another. And actually, next Sunday, as you may well know, we've got Lance Pitluck coming to visit us and speak in the morning. Lance Pitluck is the senior pastor of the Anaheim Vineyard, which has long been regarded as the mother church of the vineyard movement. Uh, we were sent out as church planters 25 years ago from uh, the Anaheim Vineyard in, in John Wimber's day. Obviously, Lance was, was a mere whippersnapper in those days, but he's coming next week, so uh, be here. Don't miss that. We're going to have a great time, and, and tell your friends, bring them along too. Talking about tiredness, I just did one of those embarrassing things, which, which I'm going to self-disclose, be vulnerable, and share you about. But I actually went and got my car washed because I thought it was about time. So I went and you know, they did a good job of it. I got out of the car to pay for them, uh, pay for it. And I gave the guy the money and I gave him a little tip. And then I walked away and I'm walking off down the road, sort of deep in thought. I realized I left my car back there. <laughs> and uh, I did one of those things where I, I just, what have I just done? And so I pretended there was something on the road that I, uh, ah. Okay, and the, the car wash guys are going like this, and I had to walk back and get my car. So if this is a bit, uh, if this is a bit garbled and a bit weird, I'm sorry. I'm doing the best I can. Okay, let's just pray. That's what we need. Father God, I want to say thank you for your presence. Uh, we we can't thank thank you enough for the way you commit to us, uh, and we pray now, Lord, that. As we, as we consider your word, that you will continue to encourage us, strengthen us, and build us up, and, uh, and, and all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are into a little series called Living Forward, and uh, I'm not going to do a massive recap. There simply isn't time or, or need, to be honest, because you may have been here last week, and also you can check out the message on the podcast or even the video cast. If you missed last week, I recommend you do look at that. Uh, but uh, we, we said that living forward really is living life in the light of eternity. And what we mean by that is we all know what it is to look forward to something. But there are certain things that are set before us that are in the future that we have to actually prepare for. And if we're followers of Jesus with the hope of heaven and, and glory and being with him, that's wonderful and that should, that should actually uh, reflect back into our daily life. Following Jesus means that there are consequences to that faith and that belief that we work out now in order to do our best and be his servants and sons and daughters here, but also in order to prepare ourselves for what is to come. And so it, it's living life in the light of eternity. It's living forward. We, we make sacrifices. We serve now. We, we speak of him because of our love for him and because we have this hope of, of glory and salvation. Um, I said last week, uh, as the first part of the teaching, uh, that we're not alone. I, I said that uh, the scripture speaks of getting rid of those things that hinder us, the baggage that we drag around with us because it's precious to us or it's important to us. But the reality is we need to let go of all of that. Please check out again the podcast if you want to get a little one 
bit more of that. Uh, also, to, to beware of the sin that, that entangles us. Sin is not just something you do and then you feel sorry about it and then you leave it behind you. Sin has this extraordinary capacity to actually cling to us. And I described, you know, the way seaweed, which, and this really creeps me out, seaweed's kind of clings to, uh, gets wrapped around your legs when you're swimming in the bay. I just really f- creeps me, that does. Sin is a bit like that. It's not just a one-off event. It leaves us with the shadow of shame across our heart. It leaves us in a place where we are diminished in some sense. It undermines us, and it's compound as well. So uh, that was a, another point. Uh, and then the other thing I've said last week, that, that we are called to finish the race. And Paul, the apostle Paul in particular, who, uh, who we don't believe actually wrote the book of Hebrews, but Paul the apostle has this ongoing imagery which he keeps referring to of life being erased, the life of discipleship, the life of, of, of being a follower of Jesus is like being an athlete. You have to stay in training. You have to persevere. You have to push through the pain barrier or the 17-mile kind of you know, uh, depletion that one feels in a marathon, so I am told. Uh, and you push through that in order to finish the race. And we said we want to finish with the high five of heaven. And, and the way the scriptures very deliberately wants us to picture this is as if this great cloud of witnesses, the, the saints that, that are present with us, those angelic beings, the Lord himself, of course, who is with us, are, are, are cheering us on. It's not just some sort of quiet and dignified spectator sport. There is, and I, and I use the imagery of the Tour de France, which is a cycling race, which some of you may have glimpsed. Uh, you know, the cyclists ride with the spectators pressing in on every side. It looks like there's going to be a disaster, and sometimes indeed there is. But the, the spectators are right in there saying, go, 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 go. And, and it's sort of slapping you on the back as they go. And that's the way. This great cloud of witnesses relates to us, cheering us on, so we are not alone, and we must cast off these things that hinder us. We must beware of the sin that entangles, and we must finish the race looking to take that high five as we burst through the gates of heaven. Let's read now Hebrews then, 12, one to three, which we're drawing on for this series, and I'll take it on a little bit more. Therefore, this is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We're going to look at the second part of this now and uh, consider that. Um, Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus. There's a number of choruses that begin to sort of go my, around my mind when I consider that phrase. Many a Christian song, hymn, and chorus has been written on that. Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I say our faith, it doesn't actually say that in the scriptures, although it is, it is frequently and commonly and, and not uh, incorrectly applied to 
his work in us. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who calls us into relationship with him. Jesus himself said, you did not choose me, I chose you. He initiates this. John 3:16, God so loved the world. It was his initiation, this work of salvation, that, that benefits us and draws us into his presence. God started this thing. He is the pioneer. He is the author. And also, we are God's workmanship. God never gives up on us. Yes, we may take a step backward. Sometimes we know we've done that, and our conscience is unsettle us and we we find ourselves living under that shadow of shame which we need to confess and deal with but but he also is the one who will bring us home you know it's not all about trying harder and be good and be nice it's actually what he has done is sufficient none of us will achieve perfection in our of our own effort this side of glory it is his work in us, and particularly the cleansing work of the blood of Christ, which brings us to that place where we are complete in him, and we are received as a son and a daughter of the Most High God. Someone shout hallelujah or something. Thank you. We're going to have ourselves a revival. Great. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Fliss is patting her head, you know. <laughs> So uh, thank you, yeah. So that is, that is the hope. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, but actually, to be perfectly true to the text here, what, uh, what the author is wanting to say is that, that Jesus is the author of the perf- and perfecter, and it's something he's done. He's the pathfinder. He, he, has, he has paved this way for us. He has gone ahead. And that was a lonely thing for him. That was a lonely thing. It's something he did. He gets the glory. It's something, it's not so much, um, you know, he he perfected the path of faith for us. He went through and he he tarmacked the way and cleared out the obstacles so that now we can walk along, along this highway of holiness that ends with God in glory. I'm being perhaps a little pedantic there, but I I thought it was worth mentioning. Let's just look, though, at the race that Jesus ran. If we're going to fix our eyes upon Jesus, first of all, there there is the fact that he suffered. This cost him. Just because he was God, just because he was, you know, Jesus Christ superstar or whatever you care to call him, it actually cost him dearly. He endured the cross the foul torture of crucifixion. You know, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are perhaps overly familiar with the terrors of the cross so that it becomes just a piece of jewelry. Many a speaker said that. But do you know, even at the time, in Roman times, sophisticated and intellectual uh, uh, Roman citizens, not Christians, but Roman citizens, actually debated whether a civilization could be truly civilized if it uh, implemented the punishment of crucifixion. It was so gross, it was so appalling, that it actually appalled the Romans. And in fact, it was ultimately banned, not because of any Christian protests or anything, but they just said, look, we call ourselves cultured, We call ourselves the rulers of the known world. 
we call ourselves you know, the, the, the greatest military power, do we really need to crucify people? They actually debated the barbarity of the cross. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, suffered. He endured that as he set his eyes on the finishing post, as he set his eyes on the goal, as he sought to run his race, that was the path he had to run. Secondly, he was humiliated. Part of the whole process of crucifixion was humiliation and degradation. There was no dignity at all. In those days, um, people were a lot more um, prissy about nudity uh, than, than Western culture is today. No sort of topless beaches or anything like that. Nudity was thought to be shameful. And one of the key features of crucifixion was that the, those to be crucified were paraded naked, dragging the cross along through the streets before they were impaled upon the cross, up there, stark naked. It does cause some offense today. In its day, it was utterly degrading and shameful. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Master of the universe, the creator of all things seen and unseen, was humiliated and degraded. He was persecuted. Verse three, it says, uh, I don't know whether I've got it on the screen, but consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. Throughout his ministry, and we've often referred to this as we've taught, he was opposed by the scribes, the Pharisees. They were the main antagonists, uh, antagonists but, but many people had, had problems and issues with him. It was no easy ride. He wasn't this sort of lovely, gentle Jesus, meek and mild with bluebirds flying around his head as he taught the people. It was a struggle. There were often riots on the fringes, you know. There were people jostling. It was hard work. And it was even harder work when he set his heart and his mind to go to Jerusalem to die upon the cross. The only kind of glimmer, the only let up was that Sunday before the weekend that he was crucified when he rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and everybody went wild and said, Hosanna. But the rest of the time it was a struggle. Many a time he, was, he, he, he had to escape because people were going to stone him, throw him off a cliff. He, he endured opposition. And then when he was arrested, probably for me, one of the, the things that makes my stomach churn the most, having been handed over to the Roman guards to be, to be uh, crucified, he was taken down into the sort of mess hall and they began to beat him and flog him with no captain of the guard there, just the ordinary common soldiers and they could be brutal. And they played a game, and this is where my stomach churns. They put a bag over his head, and they beat him, and battered him, and thrashed him, and whipped him, and they kept taunting him. Prophesy, who hit you? I don't know, that's for me a bit of a stomach churner. But the scripture says he suffered it all in silence. He didn't 
breathe out curses through clenched teeth. He suffered it in silence like a lamb going to the slaughter, innocent and apparently unknowing of the fate that was in store for it. So in the midst of all of this, our Christ, our Jesus, our Savior endures this. But the scripture says this curious thing. He says that he was able to endure it. What? For the joy that was set before him. The joy, excuse me, the joy that was set before him. What was this great joy that he was able to live forward in so that he could endure this, this profound and multi-leveled torture. The joy was first and foremost, I guess, I believe, the joy of doing his father's will. Such was the intimacy and completeness of the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that they deferred to one another's will. Because the father said so, the son obeyed offered it as worship, deferred to him. He was about his father's business and he reminded his disciples along the way, we are about my father's business. Let's get on with it. Church, listen up. We are about our father's business. If you need a reason to turn up because you're on the rotor, if you need a reason to offer to serve because as currently you're not serving, if you need a reason to work together, to pray together, to come tonight and pray for revival and pray for this church and pray for this, it's because we are about our Father's business. That was what was motivating Jesus. But it wasn't just that. He ran this race because of the joy that was set before him. And the other thing that was in his heart and his mind, the other thing that held him pinned to that cross, the thing that made him willing to die, to give up his life, was that sure knowledge, that certainty that if he died, you wouldn't have to. I wouldn't have to. As he hung upon that cross, the thing that had energized him and held him and motivated was removed from him. The love and the intimacy of the Father. Through it all, he had always been able to center himself on his relationship with God the Father. If he'd had a good day, he would slip away from the disciples and just spend a little time on the hillside just in sweet fellowship with God the Father, thanking him for a great day. They got it today. Did you see the way Peter and James did that? Oh, Father, it was so cool. I love this job. Thank you. And then other days he would go up there and he'd say, oh, James and John, oh my gosh, they think it's all about position. One wants, them to be my, one wants to be my chancellor of the exchequer. One wants to be my foreign secretary. Would you believe it? What can I do with them? Other days he would slip away and say, God, forgive those Pharisees. They are absolutely killing me. He could always center himself on that profound and complete relationship with the Father. 
But there hanging on the cross, his misery was completed when suddenly the sins of the world, your sin and mine, were laid upon his shoulders. He became the sacrificial lamb. Not the lamb of God, but the sacrificial lamb. And he bore the sins of the world. And in that moment, he cried out, this silent lamb cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The joy that was set before him was the joy of knowing that his death meant that you don't have to die. I think we can relate to this. This does connect with us. Those of you who are parents, I mean, I've joked, but half in earnest, that you know, the very first time I saw a photograph, 10, 10 minutes after my first grandchild was born, I knew, and I was, it was a curious emotion, but I knew I would take a bullet for that child. In this city, through our feed ministry, we know there are, there are single moms who go without food because they can't feed their kids. This is Western culture. This is Europe. This is Britain in the 21st century. And there are moms who are going without. Maybe you're one of them. There are dads who are going without just to feed their kids. There is this extraordinary connection, this compassion. We will go to any lengths to save our kids. We will cheerfully throw ourselves in front of a bus in order to sweep our child out of the way and do ourselves terminal harm in order to save our child. Fliss and myself just switched the TV on this week and we saw uh, a, a medical program, not my favorite kind of thing, but in this program, there was a 14-hour operation going on in Norway where a mother was having her womb removed in order to place it in her daughter's womb, uh, in her daughter's belly, because she had been born without a womb. We have it in us. It's part of the image of God. We are made in the image of God. We have it in us to make the ultimate sacrifice for those whom we love. You may not think that of yourself, but given the right set of circumstances, how many of you wouldn't give a kidney for your child? Do anything you possibly could. The joy that was set before Jesus was knowing that you and I here in Hertfordshire in the 21st century could live like kings in the world to come. That was his joy. And that was the way he lived forward. He did whatever he had to now in this life to facilitate that. That little passage I read um, at the end of the worship time, um, let's see if we can look at that again. Uh, I didn't ask Matt to do this, but Romans 5, uh, verse 6 to 8. Uh, if you've got a Bible, turn it up with me. And it says this, this is Paul's take on the very thing I'm speaking of. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were all powerless, dead in our sin, going about our own business, making our crazy old mixed up attempt at life. At just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And the extraordinary thing to me is that he knew that not everyone would receive this gift. Many, and we've met them over the years, will say thanks, but no thanks. They go through the Alpha course or something like that, and they eat the food we prefer, prepare for them. And they, you know, they're not nasty people. They, they just listen, and they ask some questions, and they make a few friends maybe, we hope. And maybe they come back later, we don't know. But at the end of it all, they say, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I'm glad I did it. It was good. Nice people. Jesus knew that. You would think, I mean, my, I would think that if, if, if it was explained to someone that the, that the Son of God had died for them, had borne the, all the terrors I've already just related to you and sought forgiveness, that, that you would just go running to Christ. But many say, yeah, hmm, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, but that is just the way it is. And that's one of the things that troubles us from time to time. But Jesus knew it would be that way. Not everyone will receive that gift with joy. And not everyone will come and join the family. And not everyone will set their hearts on service. They just want to get. And when we're not giving, they go. It's painful. It's true. But there may be some of you today who... Actually, curiously, as I've been trying to unpack this passage of Scripture, this has been a bit of an eye-opener for you. And I do want to say to you that, that it's okay. Don't feel embarrassed. You may have been coming to church for years, but today, somehow, some connection has been made. You may be in church for the first time, but at the end of the service, as always, there's going to be an opportunity for prayer. And I'm going to read out some words of knowledge, some some insights that the prayer team before the service had about what God wants to do today. And, and week by week, people go down, you know, 10, 20, 30, and they get prayer. But for you, this is a special day. For you, this is a day when you go down to the front and you say to one of the prayer team, the penny dropped. Something occurred to me today. Something settled on my heart today. Uh, I heard a truth today which, which I want to respond to. And that will be a time when, with one of the prayer team, you'll simply say a prayer of, 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 uh, of confession, Lord, forgive me my sin. And you will commit, to the best of your ability, to walk with Jesus, living forward, putting up with the sacrifices and service that, that we all must do, in order to bring forward into this life the kingdom of God. For some of you, today is the day. And you will, in a couple of months' time, when we have that big baptism at the beginning of December, you will, perhaps with tears for some of you, say, well, you know, something happened this autumn. I was this, now I'm that. I thank God. So there we have it then. Let me read this passage once more and then let's have Joe and the team come up and we can worship because I think, to be honest with you, the only real response to this sort of message is, is that we just spend a moment in worship, thanksgiving and worship. But let me just read it to you again, Hebrews 12, verses one to three. Therefore, since we are surrounded 
by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's the truth based upon the word of God that empowers us and gives us the resolve to walk the Christian life. Too often we resort to feeling. I don't feel good today, I don't feel like this. If we wait for the right feelings, we'll never get the job done, we'll never finish the race because about 17 miles into the marathon, if you are a natural, normal human being, you want to give up. But it's the truth as I've so help me God expounded to you over the last two weeks. It's this truth, what Christ has done, the death he endured in order that we might not die. It is that that will carry you forward to glory. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand and worship.